Good morning, everybody. Hope I'm finding you middle of a fantastic day. And today we are on our next book of the Bible. We are talking about the book of Deuteronomy. Let's jump into it. And so we're talking about Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. It's the last book in the Pentateuch, which is the five books of Moses. Uh, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Last week we talked about Numbers and some of the unique features in it, Christ in the book, sort of the outline, that sort of thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this week we're talking about Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, as we've already mentioned, is written by mostly Moses. The first 33 chapters are written by Moses. So it is... A book of Moses it was written by him uh, but the reason that we say the first 33 chapters is because the last chapter chapter 34 is written by Joshua the reason for that we'll get into in a little bit but 33 chapters written by Moses makes it a book of Moses uh, and so this being the last book in the book of Moses it makes it very unique it sort of gives us an image into the last sort of chapters in the story of Moses, right? Sort of his looking back, his twilight. And a lot of it is reflective and that sort of thing. Again, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, the date of this book, it was written in 1405 BC in the 40th year in the 11th month, as scripture says. Uh, in this particular book, Israel is nearing the end of their time in the wilderness as this book is being written. Uh, as Moses is penning the words to this book, their 40 years is almost up. Uh, it wasn't a curse of 40 years, if you will. It was the faithless generation needed to die off. That generation we talked about in the book of Numbers, they're dying off. And the next generation taking their place will be the ones to move on into the promised land. So <clears throat> that is sort of the time frame, that's the year, but also the idea of when in Israel's history, kind of in their story, does this book take place? Which brings us to the theme of this book. The theme is remembering the faithfulness of God. And man, we could talk forever about remembering the faithfulness of God because it's so hard to do. Right? I mean, we're living in a first-person perspective, right? We've got things going on in our face right now all the time, and it's hard to remember something that's not a constant reminder, that's not in our sort of spiritual peripheral vision, if you will. It's difficult to remember the faithfulness of God when it feels like things aren't necessarily going your way. But in this book, the sort of the theme is remembering the faithfulness of God, first of all, in his compassion. God has compassion for us. God feels sorry for us when we're hurting. Not just physical pain, although he does feel sorry for us, I'm sure, when we are dealing with physical ailments and pains. You know, you say, if God feels sorry for us, then why doesn't he just cure us like that? Easy peasy. Well, the reason for that is because even though he does feel sorry for us that we endure this pain, sometimes we have to endure things for a specific reason not only that but pain exists as a result of sin and so the fact that we're feeling this pain isn't god's fault really if anything it's our fault as a human race it's our fault that we feel this pain because that's what 
we chose in our sin, not individually per se, but as a whole, as a humanity. And God is faithful in his compassion toward us. He does feel sorry for us and he does heal and he does care and he does answer prayer. But there's more than just physical pain out there, right? There's emotional pain. And man, sometimes that's worse. You know, we feel sorry for people who get sick and deal with very painful diseases and we pray for God to heal them. But sometimes, and this may sound awful if you've never experienced this before, but sometimes it's more merciful for us to pray, Lord, if they're going to go, just go ahead and take them. That way they don't have to feel as much pain. And we're being selfless in that moment and we're saying what they need rather than what we want. And that's the way we ought to be. But the truth of the matter is, is it's compassion that the Lord feels for us in those moments where we lose uh, that person, that God answers that prayer, he takes them on home to heaven, and we're feeling that emotional pain, and God looks down from us in heaven with compassion because he knows what that feels like. He knows what it feels like to lose somebody. He knows what it feels like to be stabbed in the back. He's felt all kinds of emotional pain as the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And so he's compassionate. So faithful in his compassion. He's also faithful in his commandments. And what does that mean to be faithful in your commandments? Well, <clears throat> what it means is uh, kind of what he says in another portion of scripture. He says, I am the Lord and I change not. So when we're talking about the Lord not changing, we're talking about his commandments not changing either. Uh, what was true in one part of the scriptures is also true in another portion of scriptures. And I can hear him already. Wait, 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 Mr. Strange. I've got some contradictions to show you. In the New Testament, it says God cannot tempt any man with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But you go and look at the life of Abraham. And over there, it says that God did tempt him with the sacrifice of his son in Genesis 22, there about Mariah. So what do you think about that? Stick that feather in your cap, Mr. Strange. And to those people, I would say, first of all, shut up, because you're annoying. Second of all, I would say, you're talking about two completely different concepts. In English, words have this, this thing called field of meaning, right? And so, in, in other words, a word can have more than one definition. And the definitions can be wildly different. They don't always, they're not always similar definitions. Uh, for example, if I say a car is hot, I can mean that's a really good looking car. I can also mean if you touch it, you're going to burn your fingers. It's hot. Don't touch it. It's a really hot, sunny summer Texas day. It can also mean it's stolen, right? So that word in that one phrase can have a wide variety of meaning. That's what you have there with Abraham. And a lot of times, when people think they find a contradiction in God or in his word, it's simply from a lack of looking deeper into the subject. Right? God is faithful in his commandments. So it means that he doesn't change, but it also means that his commandments are there for a reason. Right? God doesn't just make up these commandments because he wants to, to see how much we'll keep them. They're not there just for being their sake, you know? It is not there because God likes to hear himself talk, although who wouldn't love to hear God talk? No, they're there for our benefit. You know, when God says lying lips are an abomination unto the Lord, he's putting that there for our benefit because getting used to solving your problems with lies will cause you more trouble down the road because no matter how good a liar you are, you're not going to be able to keep that ball in the air forever. Right? And so that's why his commandment is to be honest. 
to be truthful, uh, not bearing false witness against your neighbor. You can also go on to look at uh, commandments like thou shalt not steal. Uh, this is also another one that's good for us. Uh, it might not necessarily be good for the poor, broken individual, but for society as a whole, this is a, a wonderful and good thing. Imagine if we all just took what we wanted without paying for it. Uh, our society would be in ashes. We would be crumbling. You know, it would be complete and utter chaos. And so these commandments are here for our own personal benefit. Besides, allowing yourself to turn into a thief changes who you are on a fundamental level. I have seen it personally, I can tell you. From personal experience, watching a good person allow themselves to be turned into a thief changes you. These commandments are here for a specific reason. There's a reason God says, Thou shalt worship no other gods but me. Look at uh, the life of King Solomon for an example of why that one's there. So even though we might not always understand why the commandment's there, he's faithful in his commandments in that they don't change and they're there for our benefit. Uh, we see thirdly in the theme of remembering the faithfulness of God, we see that God is faithful in his covenant. Now we've talked about time and time before that a covenant is a promise. And promises are things that are very important to the Christian faith. Promises are things you can find all throughout the Bible. Jesus made you promises in the Gospels. Uh, there are promises that God made us by way of the epistles uh, throughout the New Testament. There are promises in the book of Revelation. Oh man, the promises in the book of Revelation. Fantastic. But there's also promises in the Old Testament that God said he would make. And even some of those are still yet uh, to come to pass. And so there's all kinds of things that we can look forward to in God keeping his promises, but they're not all things that are going to happen one day. Some of those promises God made you are happening in your life right now. And I tell you one of the, uh, well, we're going to cover that verse in a little bit, I feel like. Yes, we are. But one of the promises we're going to talk about here in a little bit affect you right now in your own personal life. And uh, also promises that God makes you affecting your relationship with him and your daily walk and your daily life. Not even necessarily in spiritual ways, just in physical ways of living life. And so in his covenant, he's faithful to us. And God deserves our remembrance of his goodness. Because so many times we like to blame God for the things that go wrong in life. But if we're going to do that, shouldn't we also credit him for all the things that go right in life? <clears throat> like you may have suffered loss in life, and that's difficult. But you also enjoy love in life, the love of a family, right? The, the friendship that you have with people. If we're going to blame God for the bad things, we should also credit him for the good things. And every good and perfect thing, the Bible says, comes from above. So let's give credit to where credit's due. God deserves our remembrance of his goodness because he has been good to us in so many ways. The outline of the book of Deuteronomy starts off with remembering Israel's wandering. Like I said, a lot of this is reflection on things that have already happened. Moses in his twilight years were nearing the end of that 40-year wandering of the wilderness. And we see uh, the first four chapters are about remembering Israel's wanderings. 
chapter 1 deals at the start of it with Israel at Sinai and remembering what happened there. The latter part of chapter 1 deals with Israel at Kadesh Barnea, sort of covering the highlights of their failures. Almost like when you go to watch your favorite football team, the game of the week, and they show the highlights, right? Well, not all the highlights are the best moments from your favorite team. Some of the highlights are the best moments from the other team, right? Which means they're your team's sort of worst highlights. And so it's not just always the good moments that God brings back to remembrance. Sometimes he likes to remind us, you're not perfect either. You know, that we need to be humbled sometimes in our spirit and think, not everything he says, not everything's my fault. Some of this you've messed up too. And so he reminds Israel here of their shortcomings, why they weren't allowed to enter into that promised land, why the 40 years of wandering. So then we come to chapters 2 and 3, which are Israel's journey to Moab and sort of re-remembering all of those moments. Chapter 4 is Israel at Moab and remembering all of that. The journey to Moab and Israel at Moab we talked about last week in the book of Numbers. So then we come to the second portion of the book of Deuteronomy, which is remembering Israel's law, right? And in chapter five, it's a rehash of the Ten Commandments, which is actually very interesting. So you have the Ten Commandments there in the book of Exodus, which is sort of Moses in his early years, right? Not necessarily early years because he was already quite, um, he was quite an old man by the time uh, he was in Egypt saying, let my people go. But at the very beginning of his ministry, let's say that, we see his perspective on the Ten Commandments, right? the very beginning of his ministry. But then we have here in the book of Deuteronomy, we have the Ten Commandments being reflected upon again and sort of the way Moses sees them now toward the end of his ministry. And so that's, that's very fascinating to me. Uh, and then we have in uh, chapter 6, we have remembering the laws to love the Lord. You remember when the lawyer asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He says, the first and great commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength. Chapter 6 reinforces that thought, remembering the commandments and the laws to love the Lord. Uh, chapter 7 is uh, remembering the law to destroy the Canaanites, and he's reminding them again. Don't forget, when you get in the land, destroy the Canaanites. Why is he saying that? Because he knows they're not going to. But he's giving them every opportunity to do so anyway. And he knows they're not going to. And keeping the Canaanite in the land because they were too lazy to cast him out is exactly what caused them all the problems we see Israel have. Through the, kingdom, through the time of the judges, through the kingdom of Saul, through the time of David's kingdom, through the time of uh, Solomon as king, we are continuing to see these Canaanites be a thorn in their side. Most of Solomon's reign is, is not dealt with this, but when he turns his back on the Lord, his heart turns from God, we see that God begins to raise some adversaries in some Canaanite lands. So we see even in the time of Solomon, it's still a thorn in Israel's side because they did not keep, uh, keep this law here in destroying the Canaanites. You might have some things in your life that you do that you know you shouldn't do. And you think, well, is it really so big a deal? Is this one thing that I do that I shouldn't do? Is it really hurting people that badly? 
Well, the thing you don't realize is the compounding interest upon your sins, right? They might not affect you so badly, but they're going to affect your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids. Got which David did in moderation, Solomon did in excess, right? Uh, David had a few extra wives, and Solomon had hundreds of wives and concubines. And so what we need to understand is that leaving the Canaanite, the spiritual Canaanite of the sin in our heart there and not dealing with it will cause you so much trouble down the road. I promise you. Don't wait. Don't put that kind of thing off. Go ahead and deal with it now. Uh, destroy the Canaanite in your heart, just like God was warning them to destroy the Canaanite in their heart. Hey, he's not saying this just to hear himself speak. There's a good reason. God is smarter than you. Remove the sin from your heart, right? Which brings us to our next point, uh, is remembering God's past dealings with Israel, chapters 8 through 10. And they deal with a mix of both good and bad. And it starts off really good with the Lord talking about all that he's done for Israel while they've been wandering the wilderness and leaving Egypt and the, the, all the things that he did for, uh, for Israel to get them to that point, that they hadn't been utterly destroyed like everybody thought they would. And so God reminds them of his past dealings with them because we have a tendency to, uh, you know, when a woman goes a few years after having a baby, she sort of romanticizes the idea of having a child again and she wants to start having children again. Well, what she doesn't remember is all the hard times of having children, all the pain that came with the labor, you know, all the sacrifices you make and the things you can't eat and the things you can't, uh, you know, do when you're pregnant. And we forget about the the infancy and the crying and the diapers and the waking up every two hours to feed the baby. And we forget about all that. We romanticize what it's like to have a child. Well, we do that in reverse sometimes when it comes to God is that when it comes to our prayer life, a lot of times especially, we don't remember a lot of the good things, right? We, we have a hard time remembering all the prayers that God has answered for us. If you just thought about it off the top of your head, can you think of five prayers that God has answered for you in your whole life just off the top of your head? I'll bet most of you can't do it. So the problem then becomes, what should we do about that? Well, I would encourage you to keep track of it somehow. There are many apps you can use on your phone that'll help you keep track of your prayer life. There's some good prayer journals out there you could just write down every time God answers your prayer you could just make a list you know put a date next to it when God answered that prayer for you you know just keep track of it somehow and then on those days you're feeling down you're feeling discouraged you're feeling like what's the point you know has it ever mattered has anything ever happened as a result of this why am I even bothering go back to that list read that list and then you'll say you know what yeah it does matter I you know I wasn't even thinking about all of these things I had completely forgotten about. And I promise you, it'll be helpful to you if you'll do those things. So remembering God's past dealings in their life, remember it in your life as well. Which then brings us to the commands of the Lord. So sort of shifting gears here, it's less about remembering and now it's more about preparing. Right, so chapter 13 is the commands of the Lord concerning false prophets and what should be done to them. Uh, chapter 14 is about, or chapter 14a rather, is about food and uh, clean food and unclean food and, and that sort of a thing. 
commands concerning tithes are the latter part of chapter 14. And uh, chapter 15 uh, teaches us about the Sabbath year and the commands concerning that. Chapter 16 is the command concerning festivals and feasts and those sorts of things. And chapter 16b through chapter 18 is the commands concerning leaders in Israel and how God would have them to conduct themselves and how those offices were to be established and so forth. Uh, and then we see in chapters 19 through 26 commands concerning human relationships. Now this is everything from a husband and a wife to a brother and a sister, everything in between, and how we as human beings should be, should treat each other, should do in our relationships with one another. It covers a wide range of commands concerning human relationships. That's chapters 19 through 26. And then we have, uh, in chapters 27 through 30, is the renewing of Israel's covenant. Now, this is in preparation of them leaving the wilderness, because that covenant was made to the previous generation, right? And now that this new generation is about to cross the Jordan River, about to leave the wilderness and walk up to the Jordan River, God is renewing his covenant with this new generation, the old covenant is still applied to them, so it's not like it's a new covenant, but it's a renewing of a covenant that he had already made with Israel. And that's chapters 27 through 30. And then we have chapters 31 through 34, which tragically deal with the death of Moses. Now, for those of you who don't know, the death of Moses, this is a unique story to the book of Deuteronomy. And the story goes like this. This particular part of it isn't unique to Deuteronomy, but what happened was God commanded Moses to strike the rock, right? Water would gush out of it, and he did, and that's exactly what happened. Well, Israel begins to complain again, and Moses gets angry and frustrated with him, and God says, speak to the rock. Well, Moses isn't really paying attention to what God's saying. As we're, as we're telling this story, you might have related with that thought, oh, I've not paid attention to what something somebody was saying before, too. The boss says something, and I wasn't really paying attention, did the wrong thing. Oops, he's my bad. He wasn't listening to what God was saying. Now, that's a big deal. That's not just not listening to your boss or when your kid, mom and dad say to do something. I wasn't listening all the way. He wasn't listening to God. We had to always listen to the Lord. And instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock and he disobeyed God. Now, why is that such a big deal? Because the rock is a picture of Jesus. And he ruined the picture. Because the rock was only struck once for our sins. And the second time, all we have to do is speak to the rock, ask for salvation. It provides the living waters that Jesus referred to in the New Testament. So Moses ruins the picture of the rock uh, by striking it the second time. And as a result... He is banished from entering the promised land. However, God does allow him to go up to the top of a mountain and from that mountain look out and see the promised land with his eyes. He can behold it with his eyes, but his feet cannot touch the promised land until one day in the New Testament, Jesus is standing on the Mount of Transfiguration, as we call it, He's standing there in a mountain with Peter, James, and John. All of a sudden, two people show up next to him. Do you remember who they were? It was Elijah and... That's right. 
Moses. That day where Moses showed up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration was the day that Moses finally got to step foot in the Promised Land. What a beautiful thing. We get to see in Scripture Moses step foot in the Promised Land. Not here in Deuteronomy or in the book of Joshua, but in the New Testament, in the presence of Jesus Christ. How beautiful is that, right? But chapters uh, 31 through 34, which is the last few chapters in the book of Deuteronomy, deal with the death of Moses. So that is the outline of the book of Deuteronomy. We see some key words here, uh, three, four key words. The first of which is remember. We've talked about remembering a lot through the outline, remembering your past, remembering what God's done for you, remember God's law. Our second key word is the word obey. Now this is big because this is the difference between the old generation and the new generation. The old generation was told, obey God, go through Kadesh Barnea, enter into the promised land. They did not obey. And this new generation is told, this is your chance. You go in and you obey. And so this is what he's telling them. If you obey me, things will be good for you. When you disobey me, you're making your life more difficult. Uh, and then we see our third key word is the word observe. Now, there's a lot of observing that takes place in the book of Deuteronomy. We observe the past, right? We reflect and look back upon the past and how it impacts the future or the present. Rather, I mean, you can't really know where you are until you know where you've been. And it's so true of history and our current day as well, because so much of our past influences our present. Uh, people are making decisions for us all the time based on what happened before. And we can't really understand that process until we understand where they're coming from with the past. That's what Moses is doing here. He's observing the past. We're observing God's law, right? He's rehashing some old commandments and reminding them of uh, promises that he made and covenants and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of observing that takes place, like Moses observing the promised land, though he can't physically go into it. Uh, and then the last, the fourth key word is the word keep. Now keep is influential in a lot of ways. Keep hope, keep faith, all of these things apply to what Israel's about to do, but also keep God's commandments, right? Uh, you know, all of these things apply to uh, this book of Deuteronomy. We then come to the key verse. Uh, the key verse for the book of Deuteronomy is Deuteronomy 15, 15. And it says, And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Therefore I command thee this thing today. So that's that remember and observe and obey and keep is, this is what I've done for you in the past, and now I'm giving you a commandment for today which is exactly what we were just talking about. And it's thematic for the whole book of Deuteronomy. That's basically Deuteronomy in a nutshell. This is what I've done for you in the past, so that's why you should do this today. A few special features in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, first of which are actually a couple, first of which is the name Deuteronomy, which means second law. Uh, this is an indication of the reminders and renewal that depict this fifth book of the Bible. This isn't a second law that sort of contradicts a first law. This isn't like replacing a first law. This is a second, a rehashing of the laws that were already mentioned. 
and that is what Deuteronomy is. It's thematic in that way. Uh, also, the second special feature, as we've already talked about, is the death of Moses. The death of Moses is exclusive to this book. Deuteronomy is the only book that talks about the death of Moses and was, as I said before, written by Joshua. Uh, that is, the chapter that was written by Joshua was the chapter uh, 34 in the book of Deuteronomy. And then we have Christ in the book. And Christ in the book has two uh, specific moments that I want to talk about here very briefly. It is the smitten rock, and we've talked about the smitten rock. Jesus referred to himself as the fountain of living water. He also referred to himself as the rock of our salvation. He's referred to throughout scripture and the chief cornerstone. So many times he's referred to as a rock. Uh, and he's referred to as the fountain of living water. These two go together to form the smitten rock we see in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, we also see, secondly, is he is the mount of blessings and cursings. Now, this is the bit I said I'd get to in a little bit. There is a, a verse in Scripture which says, I give thee this day a blessing and a cursing. A blessing if you will obey the commandments of the Lord, and a cursing if you will not. And the blessing and cursings are in the mount uh, under obeying the Lord, and that is picturesque of what we see with Christ on the cross. Christ was on Mount Calvary, hanging on the cross, having kept the law perfectly on our behalf. When we get saved, we get credit for his perfect life. The Mount of Blessings and Cursings, and we are blessed, not because we're perfect, because we're not perfect. And we're blessed because Jesus was perfect, and lived that life on our behalf and died on our behalf and paid for the sins of the world all on our behalf. The Mount of Blessings and Cursings is a beautiful and wonderful picture of Christ. And that is the book of Deuteronomy. I want to thank you guys so much for listening this week. And next week we will be talking about the book of Joshua. And it really switches gears there because it goes from the books of the law which are sort of legalistic and, and gets into some really big details and the nitty-gritty. But then in the book of Joshua, it's action-packed, man. And uh, a lot of dividing the land up and uh, some, some very fun things to talk about uh, in the book of Joshua next week. But until then, guys, bye.